In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the news that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons will not be participating in the All-Star game after having their hair cut by a barber who has tested positive for COVID-19. We then give the Sixers midseason grades, handing out grades for Daryl Morey and his staff, Doc Rivers and his staff, and all of the players in the Sixers' regular rotation. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash SixersBeat. We can get 50% off of a yearly subscription. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Rich, how you doing? I'm okay, man. I, I, I think hopefully it'll be okay. But our uh, our All Star Sunday is a little different than we expected it to be. A little different. We 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 originally pushed back the recording of this podcast so we could get to Doc Rivers. Pre-game availability for the All-Star game? Well, get to, meaning we open up a Zoom window. That's 2021. And then maybe like 20 minutes before that happened, news came out that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were, at that point, they were not yet being held, but that they were possibly around someone who was uh, had tested positive for COVID. Long story short, the both of them got their hair cut by the same barber who had tested positive uh, once for uh, the coronavirus and was waiting for a second test to confirm his diagnosis. And then a couple, maybe like an hour after that results or news of the second test came back another, a second positive test. So now Simmons and Embiid have been ruled out of the all-star game and we will wait to see what exactly that means. Uh, I feel seems, like it's always, I feel like it's always the barber, by the way. It it does seem like a high, uh, it, look, it, I've caught, I've been cutting my own hair for a year now. Um, luckily, I look like shit no matter what I do. Nobody cares about my hair. I have much bigger problems than whether or not the line in the back of my head is straight. Um, but you have, yeah, you have less of it too. I have a lot guys. less. It does not take me all that long. Being blessed with hair is not one of my, I don't I have too many positive qualities to begin with, but hair is certainly not one of them. Regardless, we're getting off track. <laughs> we don't know exactly what that means in terms of the Sixers availability. You know, when were they around him? How long was the exposure for how long? It seems like they will certainly be in the NBA's health and safety protocol for a period of time. We don't know whether or not they have been, have tested negative yet, um, but it seems like at the very least they will be in the health and safety protocol for some time. And the Sixers start a period on Thursday where they have five games in seven days. They have what? I think Thursday, Friday, Sunday, Tuesday and Wednesday, something like that. But they have a, a whole bunch of games in a short period of time. You nailed so, it. That's what it is. Lucky guess. Um. So if you go back and say, let's say maybe they got their haircut on, I don't know, Friday, maybe Friday seems like a reasonable guess a week out of there. That would be two games. And that's even like I said, that's best case scenario where they haven't contracted the virus um, or that the NBA doesn't rule that because they were exposed for so long. Maybe they keep them out longer. I don't know. There's so much up in the air right now, but it's uh it's, it's not great, Rich. It is not great. And look, I, I, I guess so like, I've already seen some people say, well, well, this Embiid and Simmons contracting it is why they shouldn't have had an all-star game, which I agree with in part. But I think some people are, are, are taking it like the Embiid and Simmons exposure was because of the all-star game. It I was. don't know about that. I think Ben Simmons probably gets his haircut anyway, even when he's not going to the all-star game. 
that being said, I do agree that this the chance of this happening is why the all-star game was unnecessary. It looks like, and who knows, but who knows when that, that barber first got the, the positive diagnosis, but they could have been 24 or 48 hours. Like if they would have delayed that test 24 or 48 hours, they could have been looking at a potential super spreader event among the NBA's best players. And how do you like reconcile that for a few dollars? It was, it was real close to being scary. It looks like the NBA might get away with a bad decision, but, um, I mean, look, right now we're in a bit of a holding pattern here as we wait for more information. Hopefully it is not any worse than the Sixers stars missing a couple of games because there certainly is a downside that is far worse than that. Yeah, and that's well said by you. I'm so sick of this shit, man. I just want to be normal again. I just, can when players miss games, it just be because of ankle ankles, you know? We don't actually want anybody to get hurt. We just want a sense of <laughs> just normalcy. give me give me normal injuries. Yes. Give me something. Oh, this is so bad. It's and so it's, we're so we're so theoretically so close. How we're dare so these close. guys get a haircut? You know, it's just like your normal life is completely upended by this stuff. And it does seem like we are getting closer. You know, fingers crossed. Like some of the vaccine news I'm reading about seems like we're doing a pretty good job with that right now. Oh, I just want normalcy. Like, yeah. I really hope that comes it, through. It, it, it does. I mean, it goes back to things like, you know, what's going on in Texas. And I don't want to get too political here. Um, but it oh, also I goes. Have, I shouldn't have put you down this road. I, uh, well, I, I won't go too far down. Don't worry. But it also goes back to letting fans in stands. And it's just like I have this real fear. And this isn't, I don't, this is, again, this isn't Embiid or Simmons being lax because like people get haircuts. We've been doing it for a year. Uh, or at least people who have hair that they care about. Um, as I wear a hat on the podcast, not, I don't cut, I don't cut my own hair. I've gotten, <laughs> Again, I've gotten if I cared hair. about the way I looked, I'd, I'd maybe risk it, but where's it going with this? Oh, so I don't want to suggest that in being Simmons, we're being lax in this, but it does underscore the threat of, you know, relaxing when we're so close theoretically to the finish line that the all-star game putting fans back in the stands. It just, it just concerns me. And the next time the Sixers play at home, uh, which is, is that Thursday? Do they start at home? In the second no, half? it's Sunday. They Sunday. have two. They have a back to back on the road against two bad teams. We can talk about that in a minute. But uh, the, and then they're home for the next three games, which uh, I think ends with a, a big one against the Bucks on that uh, yeah. on that Wednesday. But it it just underscores like don't relax, don't lax up right here at the end. Um, the fans in the stands, bums, bums in seats. I always get the um, Brett wrong. Bums and seats. Uh, bums and seats. It concerns me. Every everything concerns me. I'm a little bit of a neurotic mess at all times, but yeah. Don't need I just? A, I don't know. I just don't want to have to write about this anymore. Yeah. This is this is not part of what we signed up for, but it is part of the uh, of the current NBA All Star Game. As as far as you know, what happens to them next? From what we know. To me, them missing this All-Star game, you know, I'm not inside their heads. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, the, the war, it, what is unquestionably going to be the weirdest All-Star game in the history of the NBA. Them not running up and down the floor for 24 minutes, you know, I could even argue for Embiid. Might not be a bad thing. Oh, no, and I, I like Doc's response. He said, I like Doc's response for two reasons. First of all, he, he joked that if prior to the con- contact tracing news, his plan was to play Embiid, 30 seconds and Giannis 47 minutes, which I like because of the gamesmanship of wearing out your rivals. I also like because Giannis is on the other team and Doc has spent all week talking about how he'd rather be golfing. Well, talk when he's talking about his rotations (laughs) and talk about Giannis, 
clearly he hasn't spent that much time thinking about it. Uh, so I appreciated that. I appreciate it. <laughs> that which, is true. Which is that funny because he's got, he's got what, um, uh, Kyrie and Kevin Durant on his team that he could have picked as rivals. And he, he went with Giannis and it was like, yeah, I, I did. I didn't even know it when I tweeted it out. Cause uh. I don't care about this game at all, but I went back and I checked and yeah, Giannis is on the other team. That wouldn't have worked out. Doc wouldn't have worked out. That's very funny. Doc Rivers caring less about the all-star game than even I do. And he's coaching <laughs> yeah. it. He doesn't, he doesn't even know who's on his damn team. <laughs> The uh, I think he probably. I'm just, sure. I'm like, sure he'll give a great speech before the game. Come on, guys, let's play hard. Wait, who's on the team now? Who is that? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sure he probably just went to an Eastern Conference player because the old rules you would have an Eastern Conference player on your team. Um, obviously, now that we pick teams, that's not the case. But yeah, that was a. He's a looking around. Goal. Who's here? It's Zion. Okay, Zion. Yeah, you play. Yeah, good. Good for you. That's, that's Zion, cool. who is starting in place of Embiid now. Yeah, which I'm not sure if Doc knows, but we know because it's been announced. So for Simmons and Embiid, um, you know, I'm not inside their heads, but obviously I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that they are not playing. feel bad for them that they wasted a trip to Atlanta when they could just be in Philly or New yep. York or wherever or on a beach somewhere maybe. Um, just just taking it easy, hanging out with their families. So that that sucks. But to me, by a mile, the most important thing here is just to, just hope they don't contract COVID. Yeah. There's the COVID concerns and not only just like missing a week or two or even three no, because yeah. of that, but contracting because, like, COVID, and right? We've Look seen at, Seth Curry. Exactly. We've seen Jason Tatum. And you've and seen I mean, obviously there's stuff there's for young people too. Issues yeah. too. hundred percent. So I hate, I hate when know. people just, oh, well, they're young. They'll be fine. You don't know. They'll probably be fine, but you don't know. You don't know. Yeah. And honestly, if you want to be the, the selfish <laughs> Sixers fan, they might not be 100% in terms of their, their play. They might be fine, you know, re- relatively okay to, like, live their lives, but they might not be able to play sure. NBA basketball at the highest level um, in the way that uh, th- they've been accustomed to. So that's that's number one. If, if the Sixers can uh, dodge that figurative bullet, like, and those guys are both negative, and, you know, hopefully they were at least, like, wearing masks around this barber, That that's the first thing. I'm sure that... You know, the contract tracing will, will probably, they probably won't be able to play a couple of games. Embiid's MVP case will further take a hit without playing games. All that stuff. Number one seed probably will, will get harder to attain. All of that. I, I agree. But if they don't actually have COVID, that's the biggest deal. That's huge. By that's huge. Yep. Okay, so let's go to the secondary concerns, though, which is the other stuff I just mentioned. You know, I think for most of the players I've seen, the I believe like the contract tracing protocols, it's a little bit of a subjective exercise where, you know, people ask you about what was your contact like with the person who had COVID? How long were you around them for? And obviously, like if it was a barber cutting their hair, safe to say, you know, unless they were, uh, there's like a new version of uh, cutting hair that I know where he's like using a uh, <laughs> a selfie stick to cut hair or something like that. Pretty close. S- safe to say they were pretty close, but maybe hopefully they're wearing masks and all that stuff. Um, but but I have seen like Kevin Durant, you know, he's been out for a couple of times. You had the Tobias and Matisse and um, Shake when Seth had it, you know, a couple months ago. That's been about a week. So if it's... Thursday or Friday, it's it's clearly after the uh, the Jazz game, I would imagine. It's probably safe to imagine they're they're out for this initial Chicago Washington road back to back. You don't know. 
maybe, maybe they're not. Maybe they deem that they, they were handling things safely and all that. But I, I would be surprised just from what we've seen so far from the NBA. So, okay. So then they have to get through those two games. Two below average teams, but if you don't have Ben and Joel, man, if you could just win one of those games, it would be a big deal. If you, if you lose both of them, well, you kind of got to eat it. Um, so those those are the the issues right now. And is it uh, you know, it's that's life in the NBA. I, you know, the Sixers have already dealt with their share of tough situations because of COVID, but it looks like they're going to be dealt with another one. And it's uh, it sucks. We are coming up. We are four days away from a year of this whole thing really going nuts. So, um, God, I can't wait for it to be over. Yeah, I'm not sure. I have really too much else to say about this. Good that the barber caught it earlier. Shame on the NBA for going through with this event. And I, I just go back to Embiid and the way he's reacted to it and been concerned about it because of, of his family and his newborn. Just it, again, even if you're of the belief that they're young enough and they should be fine, it's just so, so much uncertainty, such so much. It's it's scary. It's scary. And uh, just hope it turns out. Okay. All right, let's move back. Our initial intent of this podcast was to grade the first half of the season, give out first half grades, and and I don't feel bad with giving out these grades now because we're going to give Ben and Joel pretty good grades because <laughs> right. they've been good. Um, I, and yeah, yeah. So I guess we'll start off with Doc and Daryl. Feels a little weird doing Daryl two weeks before his season really starts or sure. he, he really earns his grade. But I mean, the off season was also just like three months ago anyway. So we have that to go off. Of. I guess we'll start off with Daryl um, because he is at the top. And by Daryl, we'll just, that'll be a blanket for front office, which it's nice now that we know where to start that tree off of a nice deviation from the past. But what would be, and I I guess grade wise, certainly for the players, at least the way I always go about it is you go by what your expectations were. So for me, if a player perfectly matches my expectations, he gets a C. I mean, it's the middle grade. So that to me is neutral. And also the way I look at it, like if a, a, let's say a 24 year old comeback and doesn't improve that to me is a negative, but if a 34 year old comes back and is the same player, that to me is a positive because they have staved off, you know, they've staved off the climb. Uh, so that, that is sort of the way I look at it. So like for me, if you're looking at it and I, you give, let's say FERC on a, b- a bad grade while well, he's a young player who didn't improve. And, and didn't match his productivity from last year. So that, that that's sort of like the grading scale that I will use. So we'll start off with Daryl. And I guess just give the floor to you. What would you give Daryl for his work so far here with the Sixers? B? I mean, I, I think there are still holes a, on this roster. I think a lot of people will probably take except, but I'm, 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 I'm with you. I would probably say I would maybe give him a B plus, I think is where I'd go, but I would not go an A. I'll, I'll let you finish and then I'll, I'll, I'll go. I think, but I think a lot of people will hear that and think we are being negative. No, I mean, this is not a complete team that he has built, but that said, he was in a tough spot. I don't want to, uh. you know, and I, I think if you, if you go back to what we were saying back in November, when you know, it was that one and a half week period when he was making all of these moves and drafting players and all of these things. Uh, you know, we didn't expect this to be 
a championship contender. We probably didn't even expect them to be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference at this point of the of the season. It's it's still, you, you know, there, there are some holes with it. Like the players that he acquired, it's clear that they have some deficiencies. Like Seth Curry for Josh Richardson is a is a good trade, but Seth Curry obviously like. He can be annoying at times, right? He doesn't get a shot off <laughs> that quickly. He can he can be attacked off the dribble. Sure. Danny Green, I mean, you know, a lot of people will take offense to that, you know, and say that Daryl deserves a higher grade. Well, a lot of those same people think Danny Green's the worst player in the world. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to go that far. But, you know, obviously Danny has his nights where, and I would say a lot of nights where he makes some head-scratching decisions and, you know, he's a fairly limited player when it comes to making plays off the bounce. You know, if those threes don't go in, um, if if he can't move his feet side to side against a certain player, those type of things. Still, though, even though the Sixers are maybe the top, they are the top team in the East right now, I would say that the, the concept hasn't happened exactly the way maybe Daryl thought it would. You know, he said, like, we're going to put all this shooting around Embiid and Simmons. Well, I mean, they're 30th in the NBA in three-point attempts. You know, that's that's not just Joel and Ben either. So, Certainly you know, it hasn't... Joel. Ex- like, as, as Joel's probably about average for a center, right, in terms of three-point volume. Yeah, these other guys don't get up as many threes as maybe we hoped. The bench has been... Uh, it's been up and down, I guess we could put it in a way. Um, but, you know, I guess the other thing that's good about it is that the Sixers... They have survived to this point without using a lot of bullets to shore up that bench. Like, you know, yeah. I, while the bench is not complete, I, I do think there is something to be said for Daryl not feeling the need to make a move and saying, hey, we can survive with these guys. It might not be perfect at all times. I think Daryl's done a good job. Um, is it is his work even close to done yet? No, but... From where he started, which was a bad situation with Al Horford and Josh Richardson, the Sixers are unquestionably in a better spot than they were, what was it, four months ago now? Yeah. So, so yeah. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABasketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget 
If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, I, I, pr- I probably would have gone for... I'm, really, the real answer is incomplete. Like, that's the actual answer to the question uh, when the biggest... or one of the two biggest trading days is coming up here in a couple of weeks. But since we have to give a grade now, I would probably go B plus, maybe an A minus, depending on whether or not Seth Curry's in one of his strong spells. Um, you know, if if so, I guess one thing like if Daryl Morey actually had Tyrese Maxey untouchable in a James Harden trade, I'd give him an F, just a flat out F. Uh, as some <laughs> reports suggested that he was, I do not believe Daryl Morey ever had Tyrese Maxey untouchable. I think um, it was the draft compensation. I think it was the there. entire package just made them uncomfortable. But whether or not, like, you know, you say that kind of thing, like, oh, this young player that we just drafted and has played five games is untouchable. You say that, A, to give him a boost in confidence, and B, to let the rest of the NBA know, hey, we value this guy. It doesn't mean it's true. Like, there's How much does, how much does the Harden trade go, go into well, your that's where I was grade. getting at. Like, Sorry. there is some... Uh, so I, I it would, if, if, if Tyrese Maxey was actual, uh, actually untouchable, in a trade for a one of the leading, and I think Harden at this point is one of the leading MVP candidates, then he would get an F. I don't believe Daryl is that short-sighted. But does he lose some credit for the Harden trade? Maybe a tiny bit, just because this is a guy who's so creative in getting assets to make those kinds of plays. But I, I'm Brooklyn did give up a lot, and I'm not sure if the Sixers, if I would have felt comfortable for the Sixers matching that, but it's, you know... He didn't pull a rabbit out of his hat. So in order to get like an, if to get like an A plus, he would have had to pull that rabbit out of the hat. So yeah, it, it pr- probably factors in a little bit. And also I give him a little bit of a demerit for Dwight. Um, not because Dwight is not a capable backup center, but it, it makes it. some of yeah. these rotations very tough to have a workable solution to. And, and I think that was a pretty predictable problem. And Dwight has been just about everything I expected when they signed him. And the, both the good and the fact that he is a legit, capable backup center. And also the bad in that I have no idea how you make these bench rotations work. So I would give him a B plus, A minus, somewhere in that range, uh, depending on, um, you know, the way I'm feeling would would determine which of those two it would be. But I think, you know, I think I can't quite give him an A plus because an A plus is pulling off that blockbuster and and, and finding a way to, you know, like I said, pull that rabbit out of your hat. He didn't do that. Uh, and then I give him a slight demerit for the, you know, not having a backup center who fit your second best player and giving giving Doc some options. To st- I'm not sure Doc would have staggered him anyway, but right now he doesn't really have the option. So those are my two reasons for dropping him down a little bit. Like I said, the real answer is incomplete. So my question would be, let's say Daryl makes a trade for Harden and he gives... I mean, he honestly couldn't have given up all of what Brooklyn surrendered because they already have that first round pick yep. on in the uh, the Horford Green trade. So, but like, let's say he gave up the maximum amount of assets he could have. I don't know what's that four first round or three first round picks and well, what, four what swaps. What it would have been is something like you find a team to trade to give you a first round pick for Matisse Thybul, and then you send Houston. The, the full package of picks. So that was four and four. Four picks, four swaps. Something like I'm that. I'm not yeah. even sure they still could have done that, though, because that first rounder's out in whatever. But, like, let's say they... 
Okay, Daryl. And also, the- if you're being honest, you value Brooklyn's first round picks more than you would value the Sixers. Like, let, let's say, let's say, let's say Houston doesn't even want Ben Simmons. He's not involved in this. If you're talking about trading him to um, the Nets with a, I would say, relatively combustible core in um, Harden, Kyrie, and Durant, those picks probably have a little more value than a trading him to the Sixers with Embiid, Simmons, and Harden. Like you would think the six would be a little bit better sustained for a long-term success. So yeah, I don't know. I don't even know if they could have beaten them. Yeah. No, it, it might not have. It might've been a case where if, if you're looking to short a team's future, essentially the nets are just a much more attractive team with right. their, uh, their age and their potential combustibility with these parts. But uh, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I would not have been comfortable giving up more than half a decade of, of draft control. It is crazy when you say it, but man, James Harden's really good. And can you imagine? So like, let's, let's, if, let's say Harden and Embiid and the Nets don't obviously don't have him. Like, what do you think that does? Right now, I think the six are right around a 7% championship odds. Like that flips that pretty, pretty hard, pretty hard. Yeah. I mean, they, they would be the favorites over Brooklyn. I think with the way Embiid is playing and the way Harden is playing, I, you know, all due respect to KD and Kyrie has been good since he has come back. Uh, yeah, give me give me Embiid and Harden over them. It's a uh, it's a fascinating one. If we probably we're probably talking too much, on way Darryl. too much. And I don't I don't talk Daryl too much for it. It's just to get to that A plus category, you need to pull a rabbit out of your hat. So that's it. All right, let's move on to Doc. Another B. I think what he pulled off this season, getting a group of players who had not played together in a training camp where, you know, you had maxi out due to COVID. You had these weird restrictions. As soon as the season started, what have they practiced? Three times, maybe? Yeah, it really is not much. And to have a new staff, new front office, and, and new players around Ben and Joel. Yeah, the, the blueprint was given to him by Daryl, like, put these shooters around Ben and Joel and let them work. And to... uh to Joel's credit specifically, he has been fantastic. I think Doc's temperament is just very good with this team. You know, I've always dug how he doesn't seem to sweat the small stuff after, you know, some regular season losses. That's been that's been good to see. I, I think he's been a, a above average, but you know, when we talk about is he the reason for this turnaround? Like the the sole reason? No, I don't really see that. And Joel. As we've said, he's made it a point to be like, no, this is me coming in to dominate. This is not necessarily Doc. Um, but but I, I would just say from a, a CEO standpoint and Doc overseeing the whole operation, I think he's done a good job. B, yeah. B for, for sure. I'd, I'd probably go right around the same um, grade that I gave Daryl. B plus, A minus. And whether or not it's a B plus or an A minus probably depends on whether it's the benches first half against Utah or their second half. Uh, because when it's the first half, like those rotations sort of do drive me insane. And I just acknowledge that it's, it's tough to stagger some of your starters with, uh, with the bench crew that you have. That being said, like, I don't, I don't think the, they get the bench problems are a predictable problem. to me. That being so, said, like for what he's, and look, I, I might even be tempted to give doc a better grade than Daryl. Despite the fact that the, job Daryl has done has a much more profound impact on the Sixers success and where they are than doc. 
You know, I think I I think if you had to list the reasons why the Sixers are doing really well, the changes on the roster, getting more shooting and spacing around Embiid, the jumps that Embiid have made have been huge, astronomical. Well, that that's one. <laughs> but if you had to say like what kind of like the Doc was so put behind the eight ball with the whole situation that's going on right now. Yeah. From inheriting, you know, a new team to not having really a, a preseason or a training camp to having a, a roster that again is 40% new, not only new to doc because the whole roster is new to doc, but 40% of the starting lineup is new to Embiid and Simmons to not having any practice. Like it has been an extremely, extremely difficult spot for doc to be in. And for him to have them playing this consistently is impressive. And they consistently bring it effort wise on a night in night out basis. They um, really don't have those down nights that have plagued this team. Certainly plagued them last year. Not so much in the past, but certainly last year. And the system has worked around Embiid as the focal point. And again, to do all of that with so little time to prepare has been really impressive. So I'll, I'll even I'll, I'll amend that and even say A-. minus. Um, now, do I have concerns about Doc? Yeah, sort of like, like Daryl. Daryl will be graded on what he does in two weeks. Well, Doc will be graded on what he does in two months. And we, before the season, we said, look, we think this guy's a really good regular season coach. We think he's going to get a system around his stars that makes sense. But how does he adapt in the playoffs? That's really like what happens in the regular season isn't too much into his final grade. So I think that is still true. But if, again, if the question is what can we grade him on based on what he's done through the first 36 games of the season, it, I mean, he's he's been he's been good. He's been good. The the situation is the selling point for Doc. Yeah. Um, how hard it was to pull all of this stuff together, and to be clear, I think that is that's an excellent selling point for him. He's been he's been really strong. I'm a bit worried about the process sometimes on on some of his answers. We need to post up Ben more. Yeah. I don't care how we score. Well, they, you probably should like the the process, especially when you're the, like 14th in the league in offense. Yeah, and and that would I guess that would be the counter is that the process and kind of their underlying metrics on how good they actually are playing. It's a little worse than, uh, than what their record is been a little bit of an easy schedule. That's it's gotten a little bit harder over the past month or so. They, they've been dynamite at the end of games yep. where they've really defended. Now, I don't know. Are, are we crediting doc for that or saying, well, why, are, why is this a close game against the wizards? Why, why is that a, a problem? So I don't know. It's uh it's been, I mean, it's been such a whirlwind for him. Um, but yeah, like, like you said, w- what he is doing now, regardless if it's a B or an A minus, the more important stuff is second, third round of the playoffs. Sure. Can you pull the right levers? Can you push the right buttons? And to be clear, like I am, I, um, I was discrediting him on some of the process stuff. I do like that they're a little more adventurous on pick and roll defense. There are some things where if you want to pick out, are they preparing themselves for the playoffs? The doc does. So uh, coaching is a, uh, it's a tough thing to, uh, to put your finger on, but put it that yeah, way. Especially like halfway through a regular season. That's weird. And we always said that playoffs are what matter. Um, but if, I mean, if you're grading based on what has happened up to this point, it's hard to, um, hard to give him anything too low. Uh, he's been, he's been good for sure. For sure. All right, let's move on to the players. I mean, is there any real argument for anything lower than an A for Joel? Like, there can't be, right? Do we do pluses? Yeah, sure. Go for pluses. 
Okay. There's nothing lower than an A+. Plus. I, yeah. I honestly think we, we've wasted too much time talking about Doc and, and Daryl. We don't even have to talk about Joe. A+. Plus. Phenomenal. Yep. And, I mean, look, we we part of, of the how much credit do you give Daryl for the roster and how much credit do you give Doc for the consistency is baked into Joel. How much of it is Joel has taken a step? And I have to give Joe a ton of credit. Um, and like I said, a lot of these things in terms of face up, he deserves, teams, he deserves more than 75% of the credit for is, this team being number yeah. one in these. No, and that's part of why it's tough to grade the GM and the coach. He has all of those. It, it felt like the first couple of years of Joel was sort of like a, yeah, but yeah, he's a, he's, he's a great post scorer, but he needs to improve his passers. Yeah. He's a great talent, but he turns the ball over too much. Yeah. He's a great defensive player, but he takes days or nights off because you know, he's out of shape. All of those butts have just kind of like gone away and everything's come together and he's a great scorer who now thinks the game at an exceptionally high level uh, and controls the game, quote unquote quarterbacks to Jim, who's in good enough shape where he's bringing it consistently night in, night out, and has just found that he has a counter for almost everything that anybody does. And for him to go from Miles Turner and the Pacers who doubled him pretty much on touch to... Rudy Gobert and dominate both games in different ways. It just shows you that there is there's just not anyone who has an answer. Um, I give him a lot of credit for that, uh, and, and and a lot of credit for where the Sixers have gone to it. You could maybe nitpick a tiny bit, teeny tiny bit, like maybe a turnover here and there or something. But like he's been exceptional, exceptional, a plus for sure, for sure. I believe uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here at one point. Last season, when he was turning the ball over a lot, you were like, it, to me in private, you're like, yeah, he's a little bit overrated offensively. And he was. I don't think I don't think you were, were wrong at that point. Yep. And you know, not to say that he's he's Jokic all of a sudden spraying the ball around the around the gym, but he certainly has worked on a lot of his weaknesses. I'll just say because we've talked about Joe for forever, I'll, I'll say two things that uh, off of what you said. Number one, the, the yeah butts have now turned into just people hating now. Yeah, yeah, but he missed six out of 36 games. Yep. Yeah, but he wants to be a celebrity or something stupid like that. No, he's just, he's unbelievable. There's there's no yeah, but he's he's been the best player in the NBA to this point of the season, which is just awesome. That's number one. and And number two... You mentioned Turner and Gobert. I think I was looking on Twitter yesterday, and I, one of the accounts I follow is NBA Math, or it, yep. it, it might have been the Basketball Index. Is like one the of those total points added thing guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of those two, uh, you know, analytically based sites, and they have cool charts on on different things where they, you know, they put players' heads on these uh, X yep, and Y, yep. you know, graphs. Basically, what they had was a defensive points added versus like foul trouble type of uh, type of graph to show you know a player's defensive impact. Gobert on an island by himself at the top, and then you go down a little bit. It was Miles Turner by himself, and then you had to go down more, and then everybody else in the NBA's head was you know was put there that they were deemed to be the the highest impact defensive players. Those two guys just got their ass kicked by Joel Embiid. Destroyed, yep. Yeah, it's funny because if you start looking at some of the numbers, first of all, I mean, his advanced numbers are way better than they've ever been. A large part of that 
is because of mid-range shooting and the efficiency and the foul drawing, which are, are, are obvious improvements. A lot of the passing doesn't really show up. Like his turnovers are down, but they're only down a little bit. His assist rate is pretty much the exact same as it's always been. And even if you go to the NBA tracks, what they call secondary assists, which are um, one pass away. So if like, if, if you've passed to someone who then immediately passes it without taking a dribble and that's an assist, then you get a secondary assist. A lot of Joel's passing doesn't even show up in that. Cause it's like, we're talking three, four passes away from an open corner three. You really have to, I think, watch him on a night in night out basis to see how much better he has been at handling these double teams and the pressure. And it's, it's, it's been, it, it truly has been remarkable. Um, and I feel like we say it and I don't think a lot of people really pick up on it if you don't watch this team every day, but it is, it is to me much more, it's, it's going to translate much better in the playoffs for sure. There's just, there's legitimately the only team I've seen even come close to slowing him down has been Toronto and nobody else has had an answer for him. And there's a lot of, a lot of good defensive teams, a lot of good defenders out there. And he's been dynamite. And I don't know why we just spent 10 minutes talking about something that was obviously an A plus. Yeah. Hey, and once they trade for once they trade for Kyle Lowry, Toronto's not a problem. Anymore. <laughs> yeah. The 31st segment of the year saying Joel Embiid is really good at basketball. Mm-hmm. All right. This one I think is maybe more interesting than any of the first four. Let's go with Ben Simmons. I, I'm going to give him a B. Okay. And, and I would say if, if you broke this up into segments, the first month of his year was like a C minus D. Yeah. And the last month has been an A minus B plus. So, you know, obviously I don't think I averaged the two of them out quickly, <laughs> but, but he's, you know, and I wonder if a little bit, you know, I'm just thinking back to the, the heat game that he came back after his first COVID uh, absence for, for contract tracing. And he was dealing with the, the knee issue. I, I still think he was slowed down a little bit back then. He, uh, you know, I don't have his splits in front of me, but he has been so much more aggressive driving to the basket. He has been shooting more free throws. He has been making more free throws. Yes, the jump shot is, I'm sorry, like he's just wasting a chance to improve. And that is the ultimate way for him to get better, to develop some sort of outside game. But if you take that off the table, he is getting closer to maximizing every other skill in his uh, in his arsenal, which amounts to quite a good player. I, I just, you know, I, I even think back to like, I rewatched the, the game from the other night against Utah. You know, he had like 15 points, fairly quiet game. He was taking the ball at this very rugged physical defender, Royce O'Neal. And he wasn't always drawing contact, but he was getting great looks at yeah. the uh, at the basket, and that's what we uh, we want to see from him. And then his defense is uh, it's probably better than last year, which is hard to do. It's uh, you know it, I'm going to write about this in in the upcoming weeks. Like I'm very interested in how much of an effect a perimeter defender can make, just because we've talked about how it's easier for the the guy around the rim to be to show up more consistently and things like on off numbers and impact metrics just watching him play though the way he just bullies some of the league's best players it's it's super impressive so you know weighing it all together and that's been fairly consistent the entire year add it all up i'll go b yeah I think I'm, I'm thought process same wise. I, I was thinking sort of like a B minus just because the start of the season was so disappointing. 
and such a, you know, we had such, like I wrote before the season that I wanted to see him clip six free throws a game. And he came out and he was tempting three or four in the first month. And he just, the, the, the offense was so disappointing. And then you flip it. And the last month has been like, this is the Ben Simmons. I want to see this is the Ben Simmons. I was hoping for the 19, 20 point per game, getting the line six or seven times, making seven of his three or 70% of his free throws. I think I would give it an enthusiastic B minus. And only, the only reason I say that is because I don't want to have recency bias and pretend that the first month of the season didn't happen. So yeah. I can't give him the grade that I want to. I am more encouraged by the way he has played over the last month, month and a half than I am discouraged by the way he played to start the season. I think that was a temporary funk, whether that was trade rumors or you know, yeah. coming back from the injury or I think there was probably a bunch of things that contributed to it, but it did happen. Like I said, it's an enthusiastic B minus where I think he is progressing towards. I, th- I think the steps he has made are, are real and important. So, um, that, yeah, that Memphis game did happen. Damn it. Where he was passing out of easy yeah. scoring did, opportunities did. and yeah, he, he was rough. I mean, to, to start the year, I, I guess part of the, the reason I would give him a B it's just that my expectations were not as high after yeah. last season. I, it's fair. you know, I, I mean, it's, it's and when I say not as high, not sky high anymore, I think, uh, I think he settled into a place where we, we, fa- we fairly know what he is going to give on a, a night to night basis. And that is a very, very good player. And, uh, we've seen a lot more of that over the past month or so. All right, Tobias Harris, 20.2 points, 7.6 rebounds, 3.4 assists, 40.2% from three. A minus. Yeah. That's almost exactly what I was thinking as well. The only I mean, honestly, I it could, go, could be an A. It, it I, honestly could well, be. Well, for me, in order to get an A plus, you have to almost redefine who you are as a player. And he hasn't done that. Like, he is still Tobias Harris. He's just the best version of Tobias Harris that we've seen throughout his career. So I, I would go an a minus. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't drop to a B. It's hard for me to give somebody a B plus when they're having a career year, but in order for him to get that a plus from me, or even that a, he would have to redefine one, one aspect of his game. And he, I mean, he hasn't, he's just, he's been the best version of himself, which, which is good, which is what they need, which is what they need. Yeah. And some, some of the process complaints I had about doc or, I wouldn't even say complaints, just concerns when it comes to grading. Tobias, you know, he started launching threes at the beginning of the year. That has tailed off. He yep. has become much more of the guy we've seen in in past years, a little, little bit of a ball stopper, a little bit more of, you know, what we praised him for the other night, that uh, that physical post-game, mid-range game. Doc does not seem to, uh, to intend on making him launch a bunch of threes. I would even say like the quick decision thing that they always bring up. That's probably been a little less prevalent in the, in the past few months. The only time you really see it is when he shoots the, the transition three pointers off the catch, which help him because he misses short a lot and seems like he has the momentum to, to get it over the front rim on those ones. But I don't know. I mean, he's been the best Think about how down we were on him in August. I mean, he had come off, one of the worst series I've ever seen. It was too bad. He got clocked in the head at the end of it, but he was terrible against Boston, not even coming close. I mean, obviously we didn't expect the Sixers to win that series, but 
he wasn't even close to scoring and affecting the game at the level that they needed. Frankly, got embarrassed by the likes of Brown and Tatum. And he came back and he's he's been really, really consistent. You know, obviously he's making a, a ton of mid-rangers. I don't know if if he just makes those shots around Doc, but he's been the vet the very best version of Tobias Harris yeah. so far this year. And that's that's great. And look, I have some concerns whether or not this is the Tobias we'll see for the rest of the season. And certainly some concerns whether this is the Tobias we would see in the playoffs. And some of the three-point shooting, not only the the quantity, um, but the effectiveness has tailed off here. Some of the, you know, getting the free throw line, you know, he had that one stretch in late January and early February where he was getting there constantly. But outside of that, it's been Tobias. Uh, I have some concerns whether or not this is entirely sustainable. But if, again, I'm grading what has happened here in the first 36 games, then yeah, I think an A-. And if he can continue this, I will have, will he be worth his contract? No, but he will be a very valuable piece to this team, and that will be a better spot than they were in beforehand. But uh, for a midseason grade, I'll, I'll go an A-, for sure. Feels like Tobias and Doc are intertwined in terms of like they, they've had a very good first half of the season but you're a little bit concerned about what happens moving forward. Yeah. Like Joel Embiid came out and he redefined who he was as a player and took away some of the weaknesses that he had, which made him inconsistent. I'm not sure Tobias Harris has necessarily done that, but I mean, I've been a Tobias Harris skeptic in the past, so maybe I'm just off on this. I don't know. We'll see. Which is why you got to raise that grade up. Tobias Harris skeptic. And he's been good. Uh, Look, A minus for what he's done so far. No doubt. No doubt. Seth Curry. So this one might be a, a little controversial considering I've had questions in the in the comment section at The Athletic. I've had mailbag questions of, you know, what is this guy's deal? Like, are we sure that he's that good of a player? Here, before I give my grade, I think what Seth Curry is is very straightforward. He is a better fit than Josh Richardson. But he is not the prolific three-point bomber that maybe J.J. Redick was, just because his volume is not there for a multitude of reasons. He's not very big. His release is slow. Part of it is he just likes to dribble inside the arc for some reason, which, and and to be fair to him, he is a bet, he's a pretty good finisher for his size. You know, he does get the occasional cool curry layup, which he shares with his brother it seems like in that in that sense he's not uh he's obviously not as good as his brother but he uh he certainly has good touch around the basket but for for what he has been asked to do on this team i'm going to give him a b plus i i think he's been you know a good fit i wish he would shoot a few more threes but but he's a fairly limited player who just happens to fit with this team really well. And the other reason I'm going to give him a B plus is because he was absolutely on fire for the first month of a season. And then he got COVID and he's been worse since then. Yeah. And that's not his fault. I'm sorry. That's I, I'm not, if you get COVID and you are visibly worse because of it and you have doc and you have Seth admitting that it's still been a struggle for him. And you have other players who came down with COVID admitting that, yeah, it's, it's not an easy thing to come back from sometimes. I'm not giving him a downgrade from that. So I will say B plus. It is interesting. If you look at his numbers, 
12.5 points, 12.4 last year. 44.8% from three, 45.2% last year, and 45% the previous year. His numbers are almost the exact same, which is impressive, the consistency. Like the last four years of his career has been, I mean, pretty much who he is. So from that perspective, that would be a C because that's exactly what I would have expected. On the one, on the other hand, the fit with Embiid and Simmons has been so important. And I think he's helped Joel quite a bit with that spacing. And he doesn't get the volume of three-pointers off that you want, but his defender is attached at the hip to him pretty consistently. And that's huge for Joel. So fit, I'll bump him up from that C because of fit. And I'll also bump him up for the reason you said, which is the whole COVID thing just puts a cloud on it that I don't truly know how to grade. So I will give him a B minus. Uh, like I said, based on my grading scale, he should be the classic definition of a C. Just exactly what you would expect. And at an age where you don't really expect him to change, who like I might say like, hey, I want to see, you know, Matisse Thibel change how you define him as a player. I want to see him grow into something that he previously wasn't. Seth Curry's 30. You're not expecting him. You're not expecting him to fall off a cliff yet, but you're also not expecting him to redefine who he is. So he should be textbook C, but I will bump him up because the fit is that important. And because the COVID thing does add a little bit of a, uh, you know, a cloud over what, how to grade him. So I, I mostly agree with you. Mostly. Yeah. You know what? I'll bump him down to a B. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably the right number. His biggest thing for the second half. And we saw a little bit of it in that Utah game needs to figure out how to run some two man stuff with Embiid. Doesn't yep. have to look the exact same as what Reddick did, but he needs to run active plays with him that is putting stress on Embiid's defender. Yeah, his his shooting is one of the few skills on this team that has a chance for Embiid to get real easy looks. Shoot sure. more, too, Seth. Sure. Shoot more. Yep. Shoot shoot 41% on three more attempts per game. Do that, because you probably will. He's, he's, he's a weird one in terms of stylistically, like, again, I think this is where the grading scale might come off sounding a little bit harsh, because I think he's just a, a really perfect role player for Embiid and even for Simmons. Um, you know, overall skill level and impact, he's probably a six man, but on his team, he's such a good fit that he makes sense as a starter or at least a 25 to 30 minute per game yep. player. Um, yeah, Re- really good fit, giving you pretty much exactly what you would have expected. A little more inconsistent, maybe. It's interesting that the ups and downs have been so drastic. At the end of the day, he's, you know, hit, hit in the back of his baseball card, as they say. So, uh, yeah. All right. This one could be fun. Danny Green. (laughs) This is going to be controversial because this is going to be higher than some people want. I'm going to say straight C. Yeah, he's exactly what I expected. He is exact. This goes back to the predictions uh, when we said he's going to struggle, end up shooting 37% from three, and people are going to freak out because he's not doing enough. And that's exactly who he freaking is. I think some people still think he's like San Antonio Spurs, Danny Green, and maybe that's where the expectations are misaligned with reality. He's not 29 anymore, and he doesn't defend like he's 29 anymore. Uh, I think some people are surprised that he makes some questionable slash boneheaded decisions every game. When, again, I think if you would have watched him, like I think that's always sort of been who he was. I think if you if you had a, a line to Lakers Twitter last year, there would have been, and Lakers Twitter is a big place. There, there would have been some of those same concerns. They, w- they would have been telling you. Yep, absolutely. 
Uh, look, this is a guy like I think a lot of people are, you're right. You brought it up like, you know, a lot of people are frustrated and think he's like the worst player in the world. Like the dude averaged 7.2 points per game when he was 28. He's never been a scorer. He's a corner three guy who is pretty good defensively and can hang just enough to warrant, you know, 25 minutes per game. And oh, by the way, he's 33 now or whatever. Like, yeah, yes. He's yeah. I mean, and he's not somebody who can hang against the elite off the ball guys. Like it's funny that it seems like a switch group that the Sixers have put together is Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Danny green. seems like green and Harris are the two guys in the starting lineup. At least, you know, Matisse obviously can guard a bunch of these people too, that they're willing to switch with Simmons on. And man, I don't know. I watched him guard Devin Booker a couple times. It was not pretty. And there have been other players. Frankly, I, I remember the game in Philadelphia last year when Ben Simmons went, Nuts. Remember when Shake Milton started that game? It was the Saturday night game, and we thought the Lakers were going to beat them by a million because Embiid wasn't playing. I remember at the end of that game, Ben Simmons was roasting Danny Green off the dribble. And I don't think we really paid as close attention to that in terms of, oh, man, he's roasting Danny Green. Maybe he probably should have been. So I uh, there's one specific area, I will say, because we're giving – I don't think we've given a negative grade yet but maybe they don't deserve a negative grade considering they're number one in the Eastern conference. Uh, one negative grade for Harris green and Curry altogether. And, and it's something we touched on a little bit in the Embiid section. They need to do a better job when Embiid passes out of doubles. And that is a three man dance there. They need to either get better shots, shoot, shoot quicker or whatever. But it's like you said, Embiid's passing has been good enough where Sometimes it takes like five passes to to move the ball. And I, frankly, I think they were better at taking advantage of those situations, those, early. you know, those two on three situations on the backside earlier in the year. They've yeah. gotten almost worse. So they that seem, needs to get They better. seem like they pass up good shots for the hope of great shots and then, and then settle for like, okay, shots a lot. And it's not like last year, like last year they'd pass out and they'd jab. I say this all the time, jab, step, jab, step runner and you just pull your hair out. They're not doing that. They're still getting three point looks a lot of the time, but yeah, sometimes they could be a little quicker on that trigger for sure. Frankly, um, Danny Green's the best one at that. He shoots him the most now. Now when well, he puts the ball in the, the corner, the most. So like when you're in the corner and you're open, you better freaking shoot it. Yeah. And also when he puts the ball on the floor, it is, I mean, that's the <laughs> scariest moment that the team has. Yeah. Yeah. When he puts the ball on the floor and there's a guy still guarding him, what happens on that next dribble is, I mean, it's anyone's guess. But but like you said, this is a matter of our expectations coming into the year. I think the, the Horford for green trade was a good one, but you got to be realistic. There well, was a reason like he was said available. A couple podcasts ago, our introduction to Danny Green was, whoa, they got an expiring contract for Al Horford, and he can also play a little bit. He can play a little bit, yeah. Uh, but his offensive box plus minus over the last – Six years, negative one, negative one, negative one, one point one, which was that one season in Toronto where he shot like a million percent from three. Negative one point one, negative one point two. He's always been this offensive player. I'm still pro Danny Green, damn it, even though he's ridiculous sometimes. Oh, I he certainly and look, there's a decent chance he's not on his team in a couple of weeks just because if they make a trade of consequence, his salary is almost necessary to make that deal happen. But if 
not, like if they can go without trading him, like does he have a role on his team in the playoffs? Yeah, he does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Hopefully off the bench, but that's okay. All right. This one's a tough one. Shake Milton. <sighs> this honestly might be my first negative grade. I think I would go C minus for Shake Milton. And again, this is based off of expectations. And maybe our expectations were just out of line with reality. And like, I remember last year, I forget if it was in a podcast or if it was written form, I gave Shake Milton like an A minus or an A or something like that. And someone's like, well, how can you give Shake Milton an A? He's a, he's a bench player. I'm like, well, because it's based off of expectations. This was a guy who I didn't expect to ever be in the rotation when the season started. And by the end, he was integral in a series against the Celtics. It was expectations. And I wrote at that time, he's getting an A this year. It'll be much, much, much tougher for him to get an A next year because expectations are going to be completely different. And now he has expectations. He's been okay. He's been a legit bench player, maybe even a a solid six man. But we all talked about him coming in. I mean, you wrote in your predictions that he would be challenging for six man of the year. I wrote he wouldn't only because he would be elevated the starting lineup. Doc Rivers himself talked about him being his candidate for six man of the year. He hasn't been close to that so far. So if those are the expectations that you had and I had and Doc had, then it would be hard for me to give him a positive grade. Yeah, I'm still going to give him a C. I, you know, part of, part of me wonders, he, he started the first three weeks of the season. He was on fire. Right, yep. So he was living up to those expectations at that point. And then I wonder if our expectations got a little bit too high. And then, you know, he's dealt with injury. He's dealt with the, the weak absence from the contract tracing. Part of me wonders what happens if his threes are going in? No. Uh, so like there's, there's two things here. Am I still excited for shake Milton in his future? Yes. Am I still optimistic for shake Milton in his future? Yes. Because I think that point you just brought up, if he's shooting his normal 40% from three, I think the narrative is completely different. So I'm grading him based on the product production he has provided in the first 36 games, which has been less than what I would have expected. I don't think my evaluation of his potential or even really of his likeliness of reaching that potential has changed at all. It's just what has he done in the first half of the season has been less than I was hoping for. I'll still go see. I, uh, That's fair. He's, he's increased his, his scoring. He's, you know, he's turned the ball over at pretty much the same rate. You know, the assists are, are basically the same rate from a season ago. He's, Massive. He's getting a line almost twice as much, which is nice. Seems like he's a pretty good foul drawer. Um, yeah, I mean, the, it, it was a struggle for a couple of weeks for sure. And but but a lot of that is just that he's not making threes. And I agree. I agree. Part of me is uh, yeah, it's it's a good point you make in that I don't really feel differently about him moving forward. He's somebody I'm excited that if I'm the Sixers, I'm excited he's on my team. I am not looking to trade him on that contract, uh, you know, unless I can get something really good in return, because that is an asset. That is a, like a contributor at a dirt cheap price for a couple more years. Um, but yeah, he's, I mean, he has not been quite as efficient. I mean, the fact that he's average efficiency, despite shooting 31% from three, that's, that's pretty impressive moving forward. But yeah, I mean, at some point you got to make the threes and, uh, yeah, so I'll go, I'll go see. Yeah. A mid-season grade is not necessarily an indictment on the player. All right. Furkan. Uh, 
probably like a, a D minus, right? I, I mean, I did, did we get a little bit of a, ahead of ourselves with with Ferk? I mean, not to say that we thought you know all star season incoming here by any means, but I don't know. I, I felt like he was on the road to establishing himself at his. I mean, he's so young. He's still what twenty two years old. I, I really thought last year was a positive step for him, yeah. and and he was carving out a niche to maybe not be a uh, a starter in the league, but certainly a, a valuable rotation or va- valuable might even be a little bit strong, but a a, a solid a rotation player, yeah, rotation player off the uh, off the bench just because he could shoot, and uh, he can't shoot this year. His uh, his decision making at times has been. Awful. He has looked- a negative assist to turnover ratio as a guard. That's not perfect. No. So, uh, you know, th- this is a tough one because he's been so bad that really even high, even if you didn't have high expectations, he's probably fallen short yeah. of them, which uh, which sucks. He's made me laugh a lot still. <laughs> but, yeah, I would, you know, I-, I would say that part of the reason this bench has been so wildly inconsistent is that he's just not giving them – much at all. You know, we were calling for Isaiah Joe to play. Yeah. Isaiah Joe can't even get his jersey spelled right in the G League <laughs> right now. I, I laughed so hard. I laughed so fucking hard. How does that happen? How does that happen? Anyway, for those of you who don't, don't know, um, I just, Isaiah Joe had like, it wasn't a, a full jersey. It was sort of like a put together at the last minute jersey. They spelled it blue, C-O-E-T-S, blue coets. Is that like French or something? You know. Well, then know. it would be like B L E U. I don't. Know. Yeah. Well, they should have went the whole way. <laughs> they should have. Yeah, it would be it would be tough. Like if I stretch, maybe I can say, man, maybe his defense is marginally better, and I can give him a D plus. But that's only because I want to give Furkan a D plus because he's entertaining me, and he, you know that has some value. <laughs> when you are a shooter and you're shooting thirty four percent from three, and you have more turnovers than assists. You're not playing very good basketball. And when you, I mean, look, he's a one-way player who right now is failing at that way. At that way, yeah. Um, And (laughs) when you talk about a bench that has been really inconsistent, that's probably putting it nicely. Uh, He has been a pretty consistent part of that rotation. And they need someone better than Furkan Korkmaz for the playoffs. The problem is they sometimes run plays for him. Yeah. And he does nothing to justify running a play for him. Well, and he's really the only one that sort of has that. Like, if you're talking about a guy who will just freaking bomb it and has a quick trigger, he's just, his trigger is as quick as anyone on the team. It's just the shots don't really go in all that often. Um, and look, when you're coming off a season where he shot 40.2% from three-point range as a 22-year-old, like, you expected him to get better, and he's been mostly unplayable for most of the season. I, for some reason, I look at his free throw shooting throughout his career, and that's that's bothersome to me. He, yeah. he strikes me as somebody who should be, <laughs> you know, a high eighties three point or a free throw yeah. shooter, and he's not. You know, you you mentioned how we were giving all positive grades beforehand. It really did make a sharp U turn when we got to the bench because I'm looking up where we're going next, and uh, yeah, there aren't many there aren't many A's to come from this group. So let's move on to Matisse Thibel, who has maybe the best chance of getting a positive grade out of the remaining players, but yeah. Ferk, by the way, Ferk is shooting 17% on short mid-rangers this year. I'm surprised it's that high, honestly. Yeah. That floater is busted, man. 
He loves it, though. He loves it. Loves it. And it never goes in. Long mid-rangers, he's shooting pretty good. Okay, Matisse. Can I say C? I mean, he's pretty much the same player he was, but... I So, so in Matisse's defense... <laughs> <laughs> which is which is the only thing he's he's been great at coming into the season we were both a little more skeptical about him we wondered is he going to have a spot in the rotation you know you you had players like Ferk coming into the year who could theoretically shoot better and we looked at the potential fit with Ben and Dwight and said oh man is is Matisse going to be able to fit there I mean, Matisse is worse offensively than he is than he was a season ago. That's hard to oh, do. Oh, for sure. Yep. yep. He's one of the worst offensive players in the league. But, man, the defense is, again, it's a perimeter player, so it's not always as consistent. But, man, it's pretty unique. Not a lot of teams have a guy off the bench that they can throw on Kemba Walker, on De'Aaron Fox, on Zach Levine. Jason Tatum. On yeah. Tatum. All of these players who a lot of nights can not only just do a really good job, it's not just the Shane Battier, I'm going to try and make you miss and you know get a hand in your face. No, like he's stealing the ball from you. <sighs> he's a tough one. I'm going to go see just because I, I feel like the defense has gotten even a little bit better, but the, but the offense is worse than it was last year, and I at least thought it would be the same. Yeah, and I like this is one where like we, I think our expectations on the jumper because if you looked at his rookie year, he shot thirty six percent from three. I think this was one where we went, yeah, but I don't really believe in that being a mid thirties three point shot. And he had such a weird year last year where he couldn't make a shot in the beginning of the year, couldn't miss a shot in the middle portion, and then couldn't make a shot at the end. And he's come out to shoot twenty six percent from three. I mean, look, this is where I'll go. I'll go a, a C minus. Frankly, I think the defense has been maybe even taking a step from where it was as a rookie. But yeah. the offense and the shot has just taken such a step back. And that's where you like, this goes back to when you're a 23 and a 24 year old, you need to be growing and redefining who you are as a player. For your another year. These, and he's I'm looking just, at these numbers. Ugh. Oh, they're, they're awful. He's, and he's shooting like 50. Now granted it's on 14 attempts, but he's shooting 57% from the free throw line. You need him to make that step into being a serviceable offensive player. This is a year where he hasn't done that. Uh, no. And look, it was a tough year to make that step because he had such a condensed offseason, but it, I, his offense is bad. I I would certainly go C-. minus. You're right, C-. minus. Uh, I'm sorry, this I offense is bad. I could even talk myself enough. into a D+. Plus. Just, and part of that is because his, his defense is so good that it frustrates me that his offense makes him almost unplayable. And he's, he's going to have a real interesting couple of weeks here because one of three things are going to happen. Either he's going to be included in a trade for a, you know, a Kyle Lowry type or some upgrade somewhere, or the Sixers are going to, you know, pursue depth, whether that's someone like PJ Tucker or Larry Nance or someone else who could push Matisse out of the rotation, or there could be a trade for a Kyle Lowry type where he's not included. And all of a sudden the Sixers are going to have less depth and he's going to be relied upon even more. So it really could go in any direction with Matisse. Um, And they they just they need more out of him. They need more. They need more out of him if he's going to be in part in the rotation for the playoffs. And they needed more out of him if he was going to actually be a trade ship that other teams would have had interest in. And they haven't gotten it. Anyway. He didn't put up any big numbers on this homestand, but I'm I'm looking at his game log right now. 
there, there was a game, I think it was specifically the Indiana game, where he was just taking catch-and-shoot threes pretty quickly, and he was getting them off, and he wasn't making them, because he doesn't make them. <laughs> but that's got to, to me, that's got to be his role. He's got to be a, a fairly quick trigger guy, and he's got to make those shots. And right now, I, I don't really think he has much repair, but, but him putting the ball on the floor is just bad news right now. It's bad. And we say that, and he legitimately, of people playing significant 10-plus minutes per game, he is one of the worst offensive players in the league, for a wing, for sure. We're still giving him a C minus because he has legitimately won them games with his defense. <laughs> yeah. It's such a weird player. Such a weird player. All right. Let's go to Tyrese. Um C minus. Yeah. Uh, well, well I, did we expect a rookie to be good? No, but when he came out and he looked so good to start, I think expectations got a little too aggressive. And probably for me as well. Probably the Den- the Denver days. game was was damaging. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but not only that, like he had a stretch. I'm pulling it up right now. He had a stretch of 10 games where he was averaging 14 and a half points, shooting 50% from the field and 32% from three. He looked like he was close. I mean, he looked like he was close to being a, <laughs> but that was when like every mid ranger was going in Yeah, and he was making an acceptable portion of his threes. And he wasn't getting the free throw line, but like we thought maybe that was the only thing he had to overcome. And then he just, he went in the tank. I I remember after the first Washington game, probably after the preseason games as well, where he was making all those floaters against Boston. There was a big segment of Sixers Twitter and people saying, oh, we finally have somebody who can make plays off the bounce. This is amazing. And by the way, I thought that a little bit too, you know, this is. This is a unique skill set. We finally have our guy. Maybe you do still, but he's got a long way to go. Yeah. He, I, I mean, just never gets to the line. Relying on the mid-range is just as bad of a shooter as he was at Kentucky. Tries hard on defense, but is not a plus defensive player right now. And that his size is a little bit of an issue to me. Um, certainly makes his share of rookie mistakes. Yeah, he uh he has not been very good, I would say for a month and a half now. He's been he's been pretty rough. The uh and the thing is with him, <laughs> I I still hold out some degree of hope for his future. Like if he figures out the the three-point shot, sure. I think you you could have a pretty good player. But uh as far as like right now, at least Matisse you could say, okay, this guy can defend at a playoff level. Can we find a way to uh to squeeze him in on the offensive end and not have that much damage. You can talk yourself into that. I don't think you can talk yourself into Maxi playing at all in the playoffs. I do not see him doing anything at the level you need to do right now, which is, which is in in one sense, it's fine. He's a rookie. He's the 20th pick in the draft. Like you're not supposed to be that good right away, but it is like, you do need to be realistic in saying that he is a decent bit away from being the contributor that some people and probably some people in the Sixers organization hoped. If you would ask me to grade at the time of the draft, or based on my expectations at the time of the draft, it would probably be a straight C. If you would ask me to grade based on my expectations in the middle of January, it would probably be a D minus. So I'll average that out and I'll say a C minus. I do think he's been a little bit like the whole free throw thing has been a little more than I expected. Jarring. Somebody with that kind of speed and that kind of body control 
Like that was that that's supposed to be how he can offset his lack of three point shooting right now. Like if he is going to be a actual efficient NBA offensive player, he either needs that three pointer, which he's nowhere near having, or he needs to get the line at a decent clip and he does neither. Um, so that would be mo- my one where he's farther off than I expected in that regard. Yeah, I'll say C minus, and I think part of that might just be optimistic because I really like his skill set and his potential, and I still do, but he is probably a little farther away than I expected, for sure. The uh, There was a play a couple weeks ago that just made me laugh where he got run off, you know, the ball swung to him on the corner, might have been off an Embiid post up, and a guy ran him off the three-point line so he could get to a floater. He's the one guy in the NBA where don't do that. Yeah. Let you him shoot it. Run him off that line. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. Let's go to. Uh, let's go to Mike Scott only because I want to give us a chance to end on a high note. High note. Actually, we will end on a high note. Let's go to Mike Scott first. I'll just D minus. I'll just go right. Sure. There. Sure. I'll agree. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll move up to a D just because I had very low expectations of Mike Scott, but he has not been good. His, no. his numbers actually look better than I was expecting. Like he's shooting 38% from three. It must Always all does. be for the last couple of games, but I, I mean, honestly, he's the, I, I remember a couple of years ago when I was at a shoot around in Orlando, when we were at that, that high school in Orlando where they do that, they yeah. do their shoot arounds at, yeah. Uh, back when you could travel and walk close to people and they, they wouldn't <laughs> care about that. I, I just remember somebody asking a throwaway question to Brett, like, what can Mike Scott do if he's not making his threes? And Brett was like, offensive glass or something like that. And I'm thinking, and I thought that's a good question because the answer is not a lot. And He, he doesn't needs- have an offensive rebound all year on that note. That's what I mean. It, it just it's It's a really... He's a very limited player. Wish he would shoot more threes, but frankly, you know, he's played under 300 minutes, so I don't know. I take that back. He has four offensive rebounds all year. Yeah, that, that would seem tough. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have a lot to add. I Breaking down Mike's game in detail is not a, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Look, he was, he was out of the lineup for a long time, so it might even be a little bit unfair to grade him at all, really. Then again, he was in the lineup at the beginning of the season. He was dreadful then too, but he's been marginally better here over the last week. So maybe, maybe, maybe this should be an incomplete, but based off of the season as a whole, D D certainly based off of what doc expects out of him after he whines every time he doesn't have him, he has not reached those expectations. All right. Dwight Howard. Uh, so here's what I'll say. I don't blame him for having to play with Ben Simmons. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like he, that's not his fault. Like he is who he, I'll I'll just go straight out. See, like he's been pretty much exactly what I would have expected. He's been fine. He just fits poorly. There's a bit more fouling than I expected, but looking at his numbers over his career, I probably should have been expecting the fouling. Yeah. He just he has one one and a half fouls per game. Where I'm just thinking, wait, there was no need for that. <laughs> the ball is behind you. Why are you chucking the guy to the ground? Well, or you are 92 feet from the basket. Why are you pressuring? Like, 
Stop Believe it. it or not, though, he didn't have the worst foul of the first half. That was Embiid at the end of the, the first half against the Jazz, putting Royce O'Neal on the line 94 feet from the hoop. Yeah. With, uh, with one second left. Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. Dwight is... I'm not even going to say he's an above-average backup center. He is a fine backup center. But he has his major limitations. God, was he bad for like three or four weeks in the yeah. middle yeah. of uh, of that stretch. But to be fair to him, he's also probably at the beginning and then at the end, maybe there is a little bit of recency bias because he was very good against Indiana and Utah. A- minus for the first third of the season? F. D- minus, uh, F, whatever, for the middle. And then, and then like a, a solid B, B minus for the third, third. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that probably ends up with the C. Yeah. I think he has been mostly maybe a little more up and down than I was expecting. But I think at the end of the day, he has mostly been what I expected, which is both good in the fact that he, he can go out there and incredibly play 15 minutes per game and bad in that he doesn't fit with your the star you would want to stagger him with or really any of the other bench, especially when you start factoring Matisse in as a significant portion of that bench squad. Um, it, it was it, maybe a little bit easier. Like I think if there was a way for Dwight to fit with this team on a real positive way, it was if like Tyrese Maxey was 25 year old Tyrese Maxey and yeah. could get into the paint and throw him lobs and do that. But they don't really have anyone do that either. Um, so there's no one to really take uh, advantage of that vertical spacing that he provides. He doesn't fit with the star that you'd want to stagger. And I don't really blame him for, any of that, but I do think it has magnified some of the flaws, which made it possible for the Sixers to sign him on a minimum contract. I do think that he he does have a positive influence in a way that we can't see sometimes yeah. too. I, I think clearly the way that, that this year we really can't see because we're not allowed in that locker room. Yeah, frankly, I think Simmons and Embiid like having him around. For, yeah. From what I can tell during these games, they get more excited when Dwight does some, something than. Pretty much anybody. And he's, I mean, he's obviously, he, he has the the corny joke style and everything like that. But the guy is, for, for having played as many games and has accomplished as much as he has, you would think this would just be like a going through the motion season for him, make on a, on a minimum contract. The guy is full of energy every night playing in front of empty arenas and everything. So in terms of like, professionalism or, or some, something along those lines. I'm pretty surprised I'm saying that, but I think Dwight grades yeah. out pretty well there. Uh, yeah. But, but to be clear, if you have Joe and Ben, I don't think he can play in a playoff rotation. Yeah. No, and that's I not think, his fault. It's just not his, it, it's not the right fit. I think they need to fix that for the playoffs for sure. All right. Don't really want to talk about Tony Bradley or Terrence Ferguson or Vincent Poirier because when you have played 22 minutes on the season, I don't really know how to grade that. Isaiah Joe, I will say B minus. Like, I think his defense has been better than I would have expected. His shooting has been what I expected. And he has nothing inside of the paint, uh, which is a little concerning and something he has to work on. I might even go a B just because I think the defense is materially better than I expected. But I it, like when we talk about him being in a rotation, like it's because Furka and Korkmaz is your other option, not because he's ready. And I think that needs to be stated. I almost think Isaiah Joe's lack of strength is a positive because when he moves his feet and gets in front of a guy, 
Oh, he gets the way he, spells. Yep. the way he takes a charge. Yep. It's like the Matrix, you know. <laughs> yeah. And where where another guy would be falling down on his butt, he travels like six feet in the air <laughs> because of his lack of strength. Yeah, uh, yeah. But his his defense is it's interesting. I mean, he can move his feet a little bit better, and I I kind of like his help instincts a little bit too. So yeah, for sure. He's uh, you know, I don't want to again. Like, let's not fall into the the Ferk trap of you know this guy is is going to be a starter moving forward. But I, I certainly think he's an interesting long term prospect. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. All right, last one. This one's easy. This is an A plus for me, Paul Reed. I'm writing a story about him right now. He uh, he's been the best player in the G League. It's pretty crazy. He's been incredible in the G League. Um, it has been. I I can't say I've watched too many of those games yet. I've, I've Whenever I do watch him, he it, it's such a weird like herky jerky, <laughs> athletic but uncoordinated but skilled and not it's a really weird combination i don't entirely know how he's putting up these numbers but he's putting up incredible numbers in the g league you know you do hope that he can develop into sort of that backup five who can also maybe shoot a little bit from the perimeter even though again i don't really buy the shot from a visual standpoint but hell it's going in really really interesting prospect um but he took those numbers that he put up at the paul put up even better numbers in the G league and is intriguing for sure. And is the a plus a little bit of a, you know, joke a little bit, but he's, he's an interesting prospect. After those, those COVID games where he had to play, I joked about how herky jerky his shot was. And it was such a process to even get a layup to the rim to see that herky jerky game, which is, has not changed one bit in the G League, but to see it be so effective is is very interesting. Uh, and how about this too? You mentioned the shot going in on four attempts per game from three. He's shooting forty four four percent. And I I've watched how a lot of those have have come. You know you know how it's come. Pick and pop, top of the key threes. And if you leave him wide open, yes, it takes a little while to uh, to get that shot off. But it goes in now, you know, and then he's, you know, he's shooting 63% from two point range, which he's just kind of, that's sometimes that's off of a uh, attacking closeout, or sometimes that's off of random offense, garbage, offensive rebounds and transition type stuff. I I don't mean garbage. I just mean like garbage points, you know, just kind of getting them uh, by hustle and things like that. I will say he's he's an interesting one though, man, because the defense is is good enough. I, I'll just say here's a little bit of a preview of of what I'm writing. The idea of Paul Reed being your backup center and being maybe the perfect backup center for Ben Simmons, it's just something I'm thinking about. I'm not saying it's gonna happen. But the idea of having a fully switchable unit with Ben Simmons, yep. if Paul Reed can shoot a little bit and can make those shots, maybe speed up the release a tad. He's exactly the type of player you would want to uh, to pair with Ben Simmons. And again, I'm not saying it's going to happen. We've seen a lot of guys tear up the, the G League and then not have it transfer quite as much when they get to the NBA. But I'll just say that having Paul Reed on a two-way contract, having Paul Reed in your organization, considering where the Sixers are, it's it's a good thing. Yeah, it's it's if Isaiah Joe is an interesting prospect 
Paul Reed is a very interesting prospect. Yeah. So his averages on the season for the Blue Coets. 22.3 <laughs> points, 11.9 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 2.0 steals, 1.8 blocks, shooting 40 uh 44.4% from 3 and 58.8% overall. Those are real good numbers. Those are real good numbers. He's playing center the whole time there too. I mean, I, I know that they say that he can uh he can slide to the the four, be more of a, a versatile player. I, I think small ball, small B ball Paul five is <laughs> is his destiny, but th- th- he's got a path. We'll see. We'll see if it it translates to when games actually matter and you know, like talking to Connor Johnson, he he's you know he said the same thing with Shake and all of these players when they're tearing up the G League. It's okay when you get to the NBA and you have five shots a game compared to fifteen or twenty. When you're allowed to get in this rhythm, can you make the most of it? We'll yeah. see. But he's, I mean, look if he can make threes, like the defense is NBA level. There's just no question about that. So I'm, uh, I don't know if it's going to be this year, but. I'm interested to see what, what B-Ball Paul turns into. Also, if you need a hookup on a PS5, he is your man. He is your man. <laughs> yeah, I'm real interested in B-Ball Paul. I think that could end up being a good pick. What is Was it a two-year, two-way contract he signed? I think it was, right? I don't know. That's that's a you thing. Yeah, I, I forget. I should have looked it up before the podcast. Uh, either way, A-plus for B-Ball Paul. All right, I think that's probably a good enough way uh, place to cut it off after we've now been talking for nearly an hour and a half. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we'll keep our fingers crossed with Simmons and Embiid, and have a good one. See you, man.